Hello and welcome to Creative Spaces. I'm Molly Cooper and this is the London Edition. In our first ever mini-season, we'll be featuring the best spaces to stay, work and play around the city, from timeless icons to under-the-radar finds. And as well as sitting down with the teams who brought them to life, I'll be bringing you the inside scoop from some pretty amazing people getting up to some pretty great things within travel, design and hospitality. I'm so excited to share all their stories with you, so let's get into it, shall we? Part of Clerkenwell, an old Sessions house, a courtroom that had fallen into disrepair before being brought back to life as a stunning members club and co-working space. Now she may well have been blessed with good bones, including a 20 metre dome modelled on the Pantheon, but this space was in need of a whole lot of TLC. And I cannot wait to hear all about it from creative director Dean Connell, who's going to talk me through how he went about creating the various lounges, bars and event spaces. Dean, it's such a pleasure to have you here. Welcome to Creative Spaces. Thank How you are you doing today? Me. I'm very well. I'm happy to be here. On this rainy Friday in London. Very, very English typical weather. Yeah, but we've just had such a fantastic tour around this space. It's such a beautiful building, yeah. which I can't wait to get into with you. But first, let's start with painting a bit of a picture about where we are in the world for people who maybe haven't been to this pocket of London before. So we're in Clerkenwell. We're right on top of Farringdon Station. Um, for those who are uh, into a bit of inner city London rave culture will remember mm-hmm. Turnmills that used to be right here. It's been since redeveloped and the old Fabric nightclub yes. um, is around here. And right in the middle of um, this part of Clerkenwell is a building that sits on an island. Mm. Um, it's got a complete 360 uninterrupted views. Um, and this is the old Sessions house. Yeah. And most people who have worked in this area, um, who travel through this area, they've never noticed it. Mm. Or they've noticed it, but kind of just passed by yeah. and wondered what was inside there. Um, never paid it too much mind and kept on walking. Mm. And that's been my experience up until the point where I got the opportunity to come here was I worked in Clerkenwell on Rossbury Avenue yeah. um, for three years. No um, and traveled to f- to and from Farron Station and never really noticed this building. Mm. Um, but then I got the opportunity in uh, early 2022 mm-hmm. um, on behalf of Notel um, to come and look at the potential um, next office space or a space that we could take that we can turn into an office space mm-hmm. um, and really explore the idea of what the future of work could look like. Okay. And now I know that this all seems very topical because as mm. we said, the COVID came, the pandemic completely shook up the whole world and how we work. But actually your story begins a little bit before that, when mm. you were already seeing these themes and these trends around how people worked and where yeah. they worked. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah. So I've been in the flexible office space for 10 years now, mm. as we're recording this, um, I joined WeWork, which has been in the news recently, last Mm. couple of days. But I joined WeWork in 2013 um, and began a journey which I'm ever so grateful for. Yeah. A journey that has allowed me to explore themes and different ideas that I never knew I was interested in Mm. um, and allowed me to travel the world. Yeah. 
as well. And so I think it's important to kind of uh, highlight that period of my career Mm. because it dovetails nicely into why this space is what it is. And so um, uh, some of the team at Notel are also ex-WeWorkers. And so there is a rich kind of history of creating spaces that uh, build community and um, uh, really talk to the members and want to create spaces that members can enjoy and want to come to and put real simple um, office that's not boring. Yeah. And something that's a little bit more interesting. And um, I think the years that we work taught me to um, embrace challenging the norms Mm -hmm. of what an office space should be. And so from that period, I was able to kind of learn how to introduce different ideas, whether it was um, different types of meeting spaces, different types of event spaces, challenging ideas around what the office should look and feel like. Yeah. Um, Whether it, you know, going from a white laminate desk to uh, a wood desk, in simple moves such as that, yeah. they were big moves because, you know, we wanted to bring natural feeling into the office. We wanted to bring natural materials. We wanted to bring warmth, uh, yeah. color, texture. Um, all of these things were the grand idea. And I think, you know, in the last couple of days, there's been talk about WeWork filing for bankruptcy. And I mm. think it's kind of a real interesting time for me to reflect on that period. And, and for me, the model is is unquestionable. I think the pandemic has only accelerated the move towards flexible working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the average, you know, accountant, for example, has been liberated from being tethered at a corporate desk in central mm-hmm. London. They now can work from home and their employers are receptive to it. Yeah. And so, whereas, you know, those of us who have been in this flexible market space, we've experienced that say, mm. you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. And now it's more ubiquitous across the market. And I think WeWork was a success purely because of that model. I think it's interesting now that that's kind of going through all its troubles. And then at Old Sessions House, one of my big inspirations was how could you iterate mm. on what WeWork created? So what was next? And, um, you know, I've been a huge fan of the business model and I still am today. And I believe that there wasn't going to be this kind of huge disruptive change because I think the disruptive change was the pandemic, mm-hmm. yeah, um, which was outside of anyone's control. Um Whereas I think it's important for designers such as myself and creatives to respond to that mm-hmm. and seek opportunity outside out of the um, crisis. Yeah. And so I thought about that long and hard. And my response was to say, okay, maybe you don't need to innovate or you don't need to try and reinvent the wheel from what we mm. were created. I think the next step is iterative. Yeah. And so the idea was how do you then bring people or inspire people to come back to work. Mm -hmm. You know, they've all got comfortable sitting at home. Mm. Um, How do you then say to people, hey, now you can come back to the environment. Instead of mandating, which we're seeing now with a lot of tech companies and big companies, the the shift is how do you uh, get people back to work? And so Mm -hmm. this building really is an exploration of that. Yeah. And so the idea that you can inspire your team or an individual to come to the office for reasons that are not just for them to show up. 
Yeah, 100%. And what I really love about what you've done here is you've kind of dissected this idea of work in a new way. And you've got this entirely different way of thinking about how people work, which also links in very handily with the name here. So tell us a bit about that and what you were trying to do with this whole concept of sessions. Yeah. So I think I've always felt that flexible working and um, we use the word co-working a lot was something that I understood and was big and that I was, I did a lot of design work for it. Yeah. Loads of buildings across the world in that model. But then I, but then I sat in this space on my own early 2022, Mm. 20,000 square feet, uh, a building that was occupied by the Masons for 40 years. It's quite eerie, Mm -hmm. grand ceilings. Yeah. Um, quite intimidating. Yeah. I was actually, I was a little bit nervous by how do you approach this building? It needed something to, to guide it. Mm. I I didn't, I didn't feel that it was just an exercise in buying some furniture, placing it, um, calling it a pseudo Soho house type environment. And Hey, we're a cool space. Yeah. And, And you just, you're just another you know, business or another space trying to emulate what's out there. Yeah. I thought, how does this have purpose? How does it have um, identity? Because, you know, if you think back to what I was saying before, the big idea was how do you make the office have purpose Mm -hmm. for people to want to commute through London's rain (laughs) to come into the office, right? Mm -hmm. And so if that was the central theme, I sat here alone thinking, actually, maybe it's all in the name. Mm. It's actually, what is work? And and so I dissected, I did a basic research, like a dictionary. And I was <laughs> like, actually, when you look at the dictionary definition of sessions, work is just a series of sessions. Yeah, It's a series of moments in time. And so, for example, we're having this podcast now, this is a session. Yeah. Or for example, when you meet with your team, and there's uh, your gathering to talk about a product or an app you're about to build or whatever the case may be, that's actually can be defined as a session. It's a moment in time throughout your day. Yeah. So the idea of sessions felt so natural to me. It felt like an epiphany, if you like, sitting mm-hmm. here thinking, oh, actually, don't fight the building. Yeah. Don't try too hard. Just Mm -hmm. go along with the flow. And so the whole concept was born at that moment was this idea that work actually isn't sitting at a desk from nine to five. Mm. Work isn't going to an office. Work isn't a skyscraper in central London. Work isn't a white laminate desk, a black task chair. Mm. Work isn't any of those things. Work is you performing your duties and functions for whatever it is that you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. And so, and as a huge fan of like kind of um, uh, office history, I've studied a lot of office history Mm -hmm. and it, and it, I just felt the idea of sessions felt natural to me. So uh, I'll give you a little quick story of what I'm talking about. Um, I like to say that the office has done one thing consistently over time. Mm -hmm. That is change. Yeah. And we're in a moment now with the pandemic or we're coming out of, or we're out of the pandemic, if you like. And now we have the opportunity for the office to go through that next iteration of change. Mm. So whilst on one hand you have big tech or 
executive saying, return to work, return to work. Return to what is the question I'm asking. Why are we trying to entice people or mandate that people return to something that in my mind is dead? Yeah. And it isn't the office is dead. You know, in England, we say, you know, long, uh, the king is dead, long live the king, yeah. right? So uh, translate that, the office is dead, but long live the office. And it's only going to do what it's always done. So mm. in 1906, when uh, Frank Lloyd White built um, some of these great architectural marvels, they were very much designed as factory floors. Yeah. So all the tables were facing the same way. Mm. And then there was one supervisor. Yeah. And this idea of Taylorism around that period, so the scientific management theory, Mm -hmm. that was the way that um, offices were organized. And it was, the whole theory was about how can you eradicate the inefficiencies of work Mm. so that the worker can do, as make as many widgets or whatever that they were doing, they were building, they can be as efficient as possible. Mm -hmm. And then work evolved, you know, you had the wars, um, you know, the first world war, And then you had more um, women coming into the workplace and that coincided with the rise of clerical work. Mm. And so in the 1920s and 30s, you have the rise of kind of more desk-based work, Mm -hmm. the typewriter, for example. Um, And then as things, if you go through throughout history, um, those evolved into say, you know, the TV era, I call it. (laughs) So, you know, the mid, the mid 50s, 60s and 50s, where the Mad Men era. So we now got color TVs, the rise mm. of advertising. And so there's offices became more executive-like, et cetera. And there's a beautiful concept that I encourage any of the listeners to check out called Bürolandschaft. Mm-hmm. It's a German concept and yeah. it means office landscape. Ooh. And at the time in the 50s, they were exploring how they can foster collaboration mm. uh, between people. So it was taking the open office. Yeah. And when you look at the floor plan and... It looks like a basically a hot mess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're, you're thinking, what the hell's happening here? Yeah. But the whole idea was about this serendipitous oh. kind of collaboration. And so, you know, you could fast forward to 2010 mm-hmm. and 13, where we were talking about those same ideas. Yeah. So they're not exactly new. Yeah. And then you fast forward through kind of the action office by Herman Miller mm-hmm. um, in the 60s. That gave rise to the cubicle, mm. the dreaded cubicle, which we yeah. all know, cubicle farms. Yeah. Um, and then you go through, you know, you, you probably remember the, you know, the, the, the dot-com period, mm-hmm. uh, the slides in the office yeah. and things like that, the novelty <laughs> of that. So true. And then you get to co-working, you know, and synonymous by like WeWork and other operators. Mm. Um, and, and my whole thought stream thinking throughout that was really what's happening is the nature of work is changing. Mm-hmm. Said another way, technology is impacting work. Yeah. And so when we were all at home, on Zoom, that was again technology impacting mm. work. So now that kind of long-winded story I is, love to, it. <laughs> is to kind of provide kind of context around where I think we're going. Mm. And uh in summary, I think we're heading to a place where hospitality is going to eat the office. Mm. Where the idea that you can sit on your laptop in the lobby mm-hmm. and get some work done. Yeah. It's just as valuable as me sitting at my desk for eight hours. Mm-hmm. But what it really depends on is the nature of work. What mm. do you do for a living? If you're someone who 
um, is a trader mm-hmm. and you need lots of vertical screens because you're watching the charts yeah. by the minute, you need probably three or four screens. If you're a developer, you need maybe a, one of those Samsung Curve screens. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but you might be an executive that works on their phone. Yeah. And it's all valuable. And I think we wanted to create here through the concept of sessions was to say that your session is unique to you. Mm. But what we've created is um, an envelope or uh, a canvas for you to come and paint on. Wow. I love that. And it's actually everything you said there, this whole shift from offices or places of work being places to make lots of humans do the same little thing over and over again whereas now ai tech humans don't do that they need to be thinking bigger doing the creative stuff doing the big visions the thinking and actually you walk in here and you see all these well first off there's this whopping great dome in the middle and the staircase that leads up and you can just see a bar at the end and then around a corner there's another little coffee area and they were doing like a pasta making yeah. Uh, workshop earlier which actually now I know is a session yeah. um, and then around the corner there were people on their laptops other people's having a chat and the whole thing felt so fluid and so creative yeah. and so fresh and I love this idea of a blank canvas that people can come here use the space as they need to use it for that very moment yeah and I think I think I, I like to always say it this way I think the process for me was suggesting a use case mm. or suggesting a personality so for yeah. me the idea of sessions and you know, I'm, this is something that I'm going to take forward um, into 2024 and helping companies understand how they can uh, strategically entice their employees and their teams to love their space, to come mm. together, to hopefully boost productivity yeah. um, and engagement is by saying that you can actually own a personality for your mm. own company. So mm. said another way, uh, a garden lounge. The idea of a garden lounge, I think you can, you already, your brain can already kind of start to run on what does that look like, feel Mm. like, is there, is there, is it smell like I'm in a floristry? Do you know know what I mean? And and I think by just saying that sentence or that, that giving it that tag Mm. already starts to inspire or engage the user in a way where you're saying, come to, or instead of saying, come to the office, come to the office. And, you know, from the employee standpoint, it's like, for what? I can just do this at home or I can do this in the coffee shop near me. Mm. Or there's, you know, there's great businesses. um, You know, I encourage people to check out Patch who are, you know, they're doing work near home. You know, they're doing uh, co-working spaces near you. So you don't have to commute. Mm. These are, these are, these are viable options now. Mm -hmm. And I just think um, we have to broaden the conversation around why mm-hmm. you would go into a space. What's its purpose? Well, yeah, and I'd love to go into that then. Mm-hmm. So you wanted to rethink how we work. You have this idea of sessions. And as we walked around, what I loved is we'd pop into one room that was like a library and another room that was almost like a talking room, mm-hmm. like a sort of fire pit of chairs. Mm-hmm. Did you have this vision from the offset? Like, this is going to be this room. This is what this room is going to be for. Or did it sort of evolve over time as you got to know the building? I would definitely say it evolved over time. I think... I worked closely with a designer, Emily, um, shout out to Emily Noakes, um, <laughs> who's awesome, who we had a lot of arguments, a lot of fights about what we should do, what we shouldn't do. And it's all good fights, by the way. Yeah. And it was, and so the way we kind of curated the spaces was to say, uh, one, we had, um, we had conditions of the building that we had to deal with. So mm-hmm. fire escapes, et cetera. And so some of the spaces we had to make public. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't make private because okay. they were on um, 
um, fire exits, etc. Mm-hmm. And so that we had to consider that. And then after kind of dealing with those practicalities, the idea was we wanted to suggest a use case. So we wanted to give a, a room a subtle personality mm. that said to people, hey, this is how we think you can use it. Yeah. Um, but we wanted to make all of the rooms cohesive enough so that people could use it how they feel and they didn't feel pressured. Mm. So for example, if you go to a thematic room where, I don't know, it's colored a particular color and it's very specific in its orientation. So you then, you then are forced into the action, Mm -hmm. Um, which if you're going on an immersive night out with friends, that's probably cool. Yeah. But for a day-to-day workspace, yeah. you probably don't want to feel as though you're forced into a specific way of thinking mm. or a way of working. Yeah. Um, and also we had to contend with really high ceilings. Yeah. They're and, gorgeous. And you know, the idea of high ceilings is really, really feeds into creativity. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of work and research around this idea uh. that high ceiling allows us to feel a sense of um, escapism or creative mm. thoughts can flourish, etc. And so the way we determine the rooms, so we have a conversation room, mm-hmm. which we, we wanted to say, we wanted to give it a personality. So mm-hmm. our take was um, a 1970s conversation pit. Yeah. Where everything was inward facing. The TV wasn't the center of the lounge. Mm-hmm. Um, you remove your shoes. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time in uh, Japan ah. doing spaces mm-hmm. for WeWork. And, you know, I was amazed by the culture there where, you know, you remove your shoes, you go into a horigatatsu mm-hmm. and you sit down. Um, so we brought some of those ideas. Um, mm-hmm. So we have like a shag pile rug and yeah. the idea is you take your shoes off, put the slippers on it w- and the sofas are really quite low. Mm-hmm. So it really is to suggest calm conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, if you must, but however people do use it, they sit yeah. there with their laptops. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, and then the reading room was inspired by basically creating like analog Instagram. Mm. So there's a great collection of Vogue there, Natural Ge- National Geographic, there's Kim Folk, Wallpaper Mag. Yeah. There's all of these analog um, magazine publications mm. as well as books. And the idea was we wanted to give you the feeling mm. that you could break away, take one of these books off yeah. the shelves and get some inspiration. Yeah, And we called it the Inspo Library. And that was the idea there. But however, when you're in the space, should you choose to just be in there and have a meeting or sit there with your laptop, Mm. it works for that too. Because, you know, we're founded on flexibility. And so the idea to suggest a use case felt right. Yeah. Um, And I so get that idea of fluidity. As we walked around, we'd go into one beautiful room and there'd be these huge tables and people would be working. And then you'd be like, we've had a lot of parties in here and I could see it, you know, I can imagine the lights go down, the drinks come out, or we just go down one flight of stairs, down the back staircase. And suddenly we're in this incredible bar with like a balcony looking out over the main staircase with that incredible, like, was it the burnished walnut bar? Yeah, bar bar walnut. Oh, stunning. And you just think this whole space is so fluid. yeah. you can go from day to night and everything in between. Yeah. Um, I just absolutely love it. No, no, thank you. And I think, I think a big idea for us again was, was to be iterative from what co-working was. Mm. So in a co-working, traditional, typical co-working model, you would go to the kitchen mm. and there will be a self-serve automatic coffee machine. Yeah. Nice coffee, yeah. press a button, you get your cappuccino, etc. Some biscuits maybe. And, but it feels like a kitchen. Yeah. And it's cool. Mm-hmm. And, but the idea here was to say, all right, let's move away from that. Mm-hmm. 
Instead, let's go, let's introduce what, say, Soho House have perfected and some of the, you know, the member mm-hmm. clubs have yeah. done really well. Yeah. Let's introduce an actual service-based bar, mm-hmm. uh, an actual cafe where you can get barista coffee, casual dining, over-the-counter salads and mm. uh, hot food. Um, introduce all of that in a paid manner because, again, it reinforces the thesis. The thesis is that yeah. you no longer need to be in an office nine to five, Monday through Friday. Mm-hmm. And if work is a series of sessions, you might turn up to Old Sessions House Tuesday for four hours. Yeah. And during that time, you're probably a little bit more liberal with the fact that you can buy an oat cortado. Delish. And a salmon salad or something, mm-hmm. right? Whereas if you're in the office every day, you might meal prep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and you do something. So it's slightly different behavior. And, and I just think, the market has shifted that way, mm-hmm. but I think our industry is still trying to catch up with how we build spaces for it. Yeah, definitely. And we should talk about what's in the spaces as well. I'm talking yeah. about all the amazing furniture you yeah. have here, these incredible statement chairs and sofas, these little marble tables. How do you even start to curate and collect like such a beautiful collection, which doesn't fit at all, like you've just added all to a basket and check out. Tell yeah. me about that process. It's it's, it's an interesting process because I'm sitting here thinking, I'm going to tell you a really nice curated story of how <laughs> we do it. Uh, but a lot of the time it's feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, well, speaking for myself here, I think uh, I've got a, a furniture business uh, called IMDC. Mm-hmm. And uh, my main mission with that business is to take a capsule approach to furniture, yeah. mm-hmm. which is to say furniture can be beautiful in a vintage form. Mm. It can be beautiful in uh, an existing form. So yeah. a recycled or reused object. Yeah. Uh, it could be beautiful in say um, a new object, mm. something completely new bespoke that's, yeah. that's been created. Um, and it can be beautiful in a way where you source things from the market, which are done in ways that are what I like to call inherently circular. Mm-hmm. And so, the capsule approach was on full force here. And so this table that we're using right now is an existing table. Mm. So if you run your hand on it, you'll feel a lot of the indentions. Yeah. It's, it's, this has been here for five years. And so we reuse this table. Mm-hmm. So that's one third of the capsule approach. And then the chairs that are accompanying this um, table is a new is a new chair with kind of bespoke fabrics on it mm. and then around the house we have vintage objects yeah and so my strategy really was to say how do you get the balance right between those three things so vintage items that are reused mm-hmm. or existing yeah and then items that are new yeah and so that was the approach to furniture i think one of the big inspirations was um i'm a big huge modernist Mm. Um, 1920s fan Marcel Brewer a lot of Marcel Brewer products are here Um, Carlos Scarpa products uh, Mm. Tonnet we use a lot of Um, and I think the idea was to keep the space classic so Mm -hmm. the original concept was we wanted the environment to evoke its natural decay Mm. Um, so the the walls are unfinished and they're stripped back lots of raw plaster So that was the natural decay, um, Mm -hmm. the original pine floors. And then the contemporary classic was the main furniture angle. So 
pieces that have been popular over the last 100 years. Mm. Um, so we've got chairs that were originally designed in 1920, yeah. right? And But they've been so popular, so robust, they're so well designed. We wanted to keep that contemporary classic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have um, items that are bespoke. So designed by myself, um, tables, case goods, um, different objects mm. that are within the house. It's amazing. And then between all this furniture, you also have some incredible pieces of art. We saw yeah. Shijo Lenka and then that incredible Japanese artist with the light box. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, Tanaz Aramuchi. Hopefully yeah. I said her name right. But um, the light box where she, she focuses on a square mile of London and... Um, reinterprets that through architectural drawing yeah so for my architects out there like road trim pens you know mm. that goes back to our university days <laughs> and it's all hand drawn so like 100 to 150 hours wow so that was really amazing work we've got some pieces um actually the piece behind you we commissioned a, a, a photographer named liam liam Pryor, and what he done was we he his brief was to visit the house and it was to capture light and shadow at Old Sessions House. Ah. And so he produced a series of shots. And so you don't know if you noticed, that's the dome. The dome, yeah. And and so he produced a series of shots where it's quite black and white, mm. quite atmospheric, uh, quite, quite weird looking. Um, and so there's lots of depth and layers in some of the art. You mentioned Studio Lenka. I'll give a shout out to one of my good friends, Kieran, um, Kieran Galliard is here. Yeah. He, he did um, three pieces, um, um, that are kind of centered around the idea of um, personal kind of exploration and personality. Mm. And so those are the kind of black and blue pieces yeah. that you see oh, around yeah. the house. Mm-hmm. Those are digital pieces. Yeah. We have photography. Um, there's a, a Ghanaian artist called Kay Jassy in the house. And so he did some sketches and some feature pieces for us. And I think around the art, the big idea was to say we wanted to, create counterpoint mm, with the building. Yeah. You know, this is a building where, you know, artists, the artists that we worked with really and truly across the his- time of history wouldn't mm-hmm. really be in a house such as this. Yeah. And so we wanted to kind of break that boundary from mm. a diversity factor. We wanted to bring in some up and coming artists, people who are not really known. Yeah. Um, and, and we were really able to achieve that. And, you know, our hero pieces from Studio Lenka you know, really fit into that mold, mm-hmm. um, breaking boundaries on different yeah. art styles. And so we're really, really happy with the art. It was a great yeah. investment and a great, great process to work with such great people. Yeah. And I think that's so special. Like you say, this was an old courthouse. You were telling me how it's, you know, half of Australia's population down yeah. there, basically. And what once would have been a very stiff, upper lip, white, yeah. you know, figure of authority yeah. is now championing local smaller people who've been overlooked in the past and giving yeah. them a, pra- a place to come and celebrate and then other people to tap into that energy i think it's such yeah. an amazing next evolution of this building yeah and I, I you know look from myself you know black guy from inner city london there were when i was first here on my own there yeah. was a sense of imposter syndrome at yeah. times and it was like what the fuck am i going to do with this space yeah yeah <laughs> and, and and um for me, after I got over that period of like vulnerability and doubt, it was more like just lean into it yeah, and just lean into it and just kind of create flavors, create vibes. Mm. And, and I think um, almost tapping into something that, you know, our culture, uh, you know, is quite famous for in a sense of just being able to 
be organically and authentic ourselves and mm-hmm. meshing things together and making it work. Yeah. You know, I'm a huge fan of music and sampling and a lot of that for me was here. Yeah. You know, so when you asked me about the furniture and like how did some of the rooms come to life, you know, I'd I'd argue that it, it happened in mid-flight. Mm. Oh my gosh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's more art more art expression rather than design mm, oh, and it's I think what makes this space so special but then looking ahead then mm-hmm. the next chapter what mm-hmm. does that look like for Old Sessions House and I you? think I think for Old Sessions House I think one of the big ideas that I'm super proud um, of that the team are really kind of leaning into mm-hmm. and developing is the concept of the work studio mm. um, which I like to call on-demand office space yeah and so when um, I started this I had huge back and forth dilemmas around what these workspaces would be. So mm-hmm. we have a series of lounge spaces, a bar, cafe, yeah. we spoke about that, and breakout spaces. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is a workspace. And so yeah. the, at its core, there needs to be workspaces for people to work, mm-hmm. right? And so we have these what we call work studios. And the work studios were designed in the same concept as the others. So to suggest a slightly different use case. So they mm-hmm. each have their own little angle that makes them a little bit unique. Yeah. But fundamentally underneath that, they're flexible enough to be functional for typical work. Mm-hmm. Nice. Right? So task chair, table surface, sometimes yeah. a screen, etc. Mm-hmm. But the, what's really interesting about that and what I think is next for old sessions and for this segment of the industry mm-hmm. is how do we then the business model around selling that type of space to companies. Yeah. So for example... There are companies that take one of the work studios for two days a week. Mm. So they may take it Tuesdays and Thursdays, for yeah. argument's sake. And they pay a curated fee, I would mm-hmm. argue, with the team yeah. um, that's negotiated. Yeah. And they use the space to bring their team together mm-hmm. on those specific days. Yeah. And so I believe that's really where this uh, model can scale. Mm-hmm. So that's for old sessions. I think... For myself, I think it's a little bit bittersweet in a way. Mm. You know, there's news of WeWork's uh, potential uh, bankruptcy next week. And it's been 10 years since I joined that business Mm -hmm. and worked on this product. And I I like to say that it's been WeWork to sessions for me. Um, And so I think for me, a big, big push for 2024 is introducing the idea of sessions for different companies. Mm. Um from a consultancy standpoint Mm -hmm. to allow businesses to see or to help businesses see that, Hey, you've got all of this real estate or you might be in a lease Mm. for another two years and can't get out of it. Right. Or you're looking for a space or you don't Mm. know what to do. So I want to be able to kind of help companies Mm. directly. And the reason why I say companies directly, because I really want to help the user. Yeah. The person who sits behind the screen, Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, my mission is to really, help those users of space mm-hmm. because they are the ones that need to be satisfied yeah. to then justify the space itself mm-hmm. to give it purpose. So I think for me, on one hand, it's focusing on that and mm-hmm. helping businesses transition to what I call this concept of sessions. Yeah. And then really and truly is taking the, a lot of the furniture feel and vibe mm. that you've seen here and uh, packaging it into um capsules and products and um, a collection that I'm launching in 2024, which will be around making furniture 
um, or designing furniture, should I say, that's inherently circular. Yeah. And so. So you've got a busy year ahead of you, a busy yeah. few years, it feels like. Yeah. Every people listening in, look out for sessions coming to a workspace yeah. near you. Yeah. We're nearly done here. But before we do go, we have a closing tradition of okay. I'm going to ask you three questions. Yeah. Imagine you've cashed that winning lottery ticket. So money is of no object. Yeah. And you let me know what space comes to mind for you. So number one. Yeah. Where are you running away to, to disconnect, to detox? Oh, wow. Okay. I can't escape from the idea of some kind of beautifully designed remote cabin. Ooh, lovely. Mm-hmm. Where I could potentially camp. Mm. Right. And make some music somewhere where there's beautiful nature. Oh, gorgeous. I think that's something that I would love to do. Mm-hmm, yeah, go camping with the boys. I've got two little boys, so that'd be cool. Oh, sweet. I don't even get much of a detox with them, but... Uh. Right. <laughs> so maybe, yeah. Well, as soon as you said that, I was thinking, get away. Get, get away. away. <laughs> Run away. Yeah. Um, I love it. Second one, slightly different. Mm-hmm. Your ultimate birthday party. Oh Where God. are you hosting it? Oh my God. That is a really loaded one, considering <laughs> I'm... I'm uh, Okay, uh, to be completely authentic with everyone, I'm, I'm about to turn 40 in like in next month. And I've been thinking about that. And so ultimate, I want to, it's my ultimate birthday party, which we'll see if I can deliver on, um, I think will be house party, mm-hmm. real chilled vibes, mm. nothing too precious, um, people that I know and love. Yeah. Good music. Yeah. A lot of booze. <laughs> um, that's about it, really. Sounds great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. No, that sounds lovely. And the last one, your once in a lifetime bucket list trip. Where are you going and are you staying anywhere special? Oh, wow. I'm going to answer this in a roundabout way. Apologies if it's not direct. <laughs> so throughout my career, I've had five places that I've really wanted to go. Oh, okay. That I've said was my bucket list. Ah. So I've said, I need to see these places by hook or by crook before I hit the dirt. And <laughs> one of them was a bit revealing. One of them was Jamaica. Okay. Because I'm half Jamaican and I've yeah. never been. Sad yeah. story. I know. Cry me um. <laughs> So one was Jamaica. That was a very kind of personal one. Mm-hmm. It's sad that I haven't been. Yeah. Another one was Ghana. Okay. Um, I wanted to go to Ghana as the kind of flagship, if you like, of the west coast of Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, another one was Brazil. Mm. And so for those who don't know, Brazil is actually the country in the west that has the most actual Africans outside of Africa. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. And... And obviously just the samba culture, you know, Brazilian mm. football team. I really want to see Brazil and I haven't, I haven't done that yet. So Brazil, Ghana and Jamaica are still on my bucket list. Okay. But I had two others on my original bucket list that I created when I was however old. Yeah. And it was to um, Japan. Oh, yeah. I always wanted to live and work in Japan. Mm-hmm. And I was able to do both. Heck. So yeah. I spent a lot of time in Japan, which I love. And then the other one was China. Ooh. I was fascinated by the idea of the new world and what mm. is China. And so I lived in China for a year. Wow. How so was that? It was different. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was a great experience. I'm very grateful for it. It was very hard. 
Yeah. Because they didn't speak the language. Mm. But at the same time, you know, for those of us who are contactless everything now, yeah. just letting you know, China's been that way for years. Yeah. Okay. WeChat. Mm-hmm. You know, WeChat, um, QR codes, you know, you couldn't give a homeless man cash. Really? It asks you to scan his QR code. <laughs> it's, that, it's that integrated. So I experienced China. So I experienced yeah. China, experienced Japan, but I haven't experienced the other three, which is a little bit damning for me, oh. being someone of an African yeah. Caribbean background. And so, um, you know, as this chapter is closing, if you like, on the last 10 years of working in flexible office space and traveling mm-hmm. all the world, especially the Asian side of the world, I think the next 10, I'm going to go West. Yeah. Love that. So you're having a three stop. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a long trip. Yeah. Yeah. Which um, I'm here for. I hope you get it. Thank you so much for talking to me, Sadie. No, it's it's been such a pleasure. pleasure. Thank you so much. That was great. Wow, Dean, one of the loveliest and just coolest people around. I really can't even start to tell you how gorgeous Sessions House is. You need to get yourself down there and soak in all those 70s vibes yourself. And thank you for tuning into this episode. I really hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you did, please make my day and leave a little review or hit that subscribe button. There are so many things I would love to do with Creative Spaces this year and that just helps make all of it possible. You can also head to our website for loads more content and also some inspiration for your next trip away. So go get planning your next vacation and I'll see you next time for more of the London edition.